Life's Third Act is a podcast dedicated to helping you get the most out of your retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, attorney CPA Joe Cordell features guests each week to discuss prominent topics for those over 55. Here's attorney CPA Joe Cordell. Welcome to another episode of Life's Third Act. We're in a three-part series that is talking about how to make your home your forever home, meaning people who want to stay in their home. You want to stay put. It's called in the uh, parlance of the era, it's called uh, aging in place. Before we talk about the show today, I want to remind you that it's very important to us to get subscriptions. Um, For you to press that like button is helpful, but the subscribe button is the most important thing to us. So those of you who want to age in place, meaning you perhaps have been in a home, I'd be willing to bet for most of you, you've probably been in the home you're in for 10 years plus. Some of you raised your children there and your children now have children. So there are good reasons, and I understand that, why people want to stay in their home. Now, others are critical of that, uh, particularly people in the healthcare industry or people who focus on senior care. You know, they argue that there are such wonderful and efficient alternatives that people should be more willing to consider those. And it is true that unlike 20 years ago, uh, we've talked a lot on this show about the fact that there are marvelous uh, homes or communities uh, in which you get assistive care or even skilled care. So there are so many options out there, very nice places. And not necessarily in your hometown, I understand, but perhaps nearby, in a nearby city, uh, or some of you who don't have family things to consider, children, grandchildren, it may be, you may be free to choose from a wider geographical area. I can tell you, Florida's nice, as you've heard me talk about. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Naples in particular. So uh, I know that there are nonetheless, people who simply don't care for that, and that's not what they're interested in. So I want to talk to you and help you develop a plan that would maximize the odds that you'll be able to stay in your house to the end, that you'll be able to pass from this world uh, in your bed at home, if not you know, up until near that point. So the objective is to figure out the things that you need to do in order to make that happen. I think that we shouldn't simply have a plan that's based on hope. Uh, That's not a good plan. A better plan is one in which you think about what's going to be necessary. And we started this last year with kind of a general discussion of this subject. We talked about some of the factors at play. We talked about what areas or what expenses might not be covered that would be paid out of pocket versus Medicare covering things when you're getting treatment for an illness, for example, or an injury, those sorts of things. And rehabilitation to a point is covered. Uh, so so there are things that would would be covered and some of which will be would be covered for somebody to come to your home to do, but not things that are going to be on an ongoing basis, not those things that are more in the area of custodial or maintenance care. I choose the word maintenance a little carefully because there's actually, there have been some rulings in the courts in which if something is essential for your maintenance, it might qualify for coverage under some existing healthcare insurance or even Medicare. Uh, but I don't want you to to 
place too much hope on that definition. I think the bottom line is think that Medicare is going to be willing to pay for the things that relate to treatment for an illness or an injury and the rehabilitation associated with that within reason. But the sort of chronic um, custodial care that, that nursing homes often do, that's much of what skilled care facilities like that do is it's people who meet more the definition of needing professionals around them because they have deteriorated to such an extent. So that's a different definition from what Medicare and health insurance companies are prepared to cover. So some of you will have long-term care insurance, incidentally, and that is designed to cover things such as that. Uh, But as to others, um, there definitely is a trend for companies to provide things for home care. to If you need respiratory care, if you need some sort of physical therapy, those things are often available now in your home. When If we were having this conversation 20 years ago, there have been very few companies that did that sort of thing. So it clearly is a trend. There, are, In other words, there are a lot of people like you who want to stay in their home as long as they can. Strong roots are essential for a healthy tree, especially your family tree. That's why you work hard to take care of your family every day. At Tucker Allen, we know that taking care of your family means planning for the future. Our team provides personalized estate planning to help you protect your family, your legacy, and your future. From wills and trusts to long-term care and estate planning, count on Tucker Allen. Personalized estate planning made simple. Today, I want to pick up with the physical environment of your home. Um, We need to think about, is your particular home especially suitable to carrying you the distance? And for many of you, many of you, it will be. But let's talk about what those characteristics would be. First of all, are you in a neighborhood or in a community where you're close to the things that are important to you? This includes grocery stores. This includes your church, your synagogue, whatever. Um, Are you close to friends? What about your proximity to family members? That can be huge. If you're you're close to family members, then that means that you're close to people who can come and, and help you to the extent that you need it urgently. Uh, or is this a neighborhood where you can get out and have some physical activity uh, safely and uh, and at the same time in a in a walking friendly environment neighborhood? So it's not just enough that you're not going to get mugged or you're getting, or, are you in danger of being run over out walking on roads that have no sidewalks? Is your an environment friendly to somebody who is a pedestrian? Um, I would also, want to talk a little bit about the physical condition of your house. One aspect of that is how old is the house? If it's a house that's going to need a significant amount of work to bring it up to the level that you will need it as you age, then you need to figure that in your budget. Um, This is not something that you needed an accountant or you need a lawyer to tell you, but, but if you're going to approach this in an organized way, that has to be toward the top of the list of the things you think about when you're considering a plan to keep you in your present home. Do you have the money to sort of do these updates and renovations that may be necessary immediately? In some cases, you can pour $50,000, $100,000 into your house and it's done, meaning you've fixed the, the things that need to fix. You've done the retrofitting that will need to occur. 
Uh, in other words, you've you've assured that this facility now is in a position. When I say facility, I mean your house. Th- this house is in a condition where it should do well with reasonable maintenance and upkeep for the next 30, 40 years, however long we're talking about. A piece of that also, other than simply the age and the physical condition of your house generally, is the floor plan. I, I think, I know you've thought about the issue of the fact maybe you don't have a master bedroom on the main level. I'm sure you've given this some consideration, but I'm going to argue to you that that's virtually a deal killer. If you can't make that happen, if there's not an, a possibility to either add on your house to, to place a bedroom on the main level or for you to perhaps, you know, repurpose a room to make it a bedroom on the main level, if that's not practical, that's almost a a deal killer for what we're talking about here. Now, I should throw in that some of you uh, will have room for an elevator. I'm not I'm not going to dwell on this because I think for most people, putting an elevator in your house is not feasible. Uh, I know some of you are thinking that, what about these stair lifts? Uh, I'm not a fan of the stair lifts. Maybe some of you are. In that case, you can regard that as a reasonable remedy. But remember, it's got to work every time. And it can't work some of the time because that's where you sleep every day. So I'm uh, I'm not a fan of of that as an answer, though I know I've talked to people who say that they did it and it worked fine. So think about whether that is going to be a showstopper for you, having the mas- a master bedroom on the main level. The other thing to think about is the retrofitting generally, the width of your hallways. You have to allow for the chance that you're going to be in a wheelchair at some point. Hopefully not. Hopefully not, but there is a chance that it's going to happen. 50-50, I don't know those odds. So how difficult would it be for you to assure that the sort of mobility throughout your house that you would need? And remember, this also is a mobility to get you up and down stairs. Now, it's true you can have have your wheelchair, an up-and-down wheelchair. Uh, you can have a little scooter in the house. There's lots of really cool devices today that allow you to get around. And wheelchairs now are much more petite than they used to be. Used to, you know, they were these heavy steel sort wide devices that now they're they're light uh, and often very compact. So depending on your size, you know, if you're pretty lean, then it's possible that you'd be talking about something that would weigh half what, you know, that alternative would have weighed 10 years ago. So think about the practicality of retrofitting your house for somebody who has a lot of trouble getting around. The showers generally are not a problem to put handles in there. That's generally easy done. You might even be able to pull out a tub and put kind of a step-in modern option or to just use a shower for some of you. It's better or to even be able to, to roll directly in to the shower from the, 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 the floor of your bathroom. Uh, there's lots of options. So generally, that can be done. But now we're talking about money, but we're talking about money, whatever you do here. So, you know, you need to, to do the calculation where you have on one side of the page these things we're talking about now, and then, of course, the expenses on the other column of moving somewhere. Now, if you move somewhere, you do get to sell your house, and you, you know, get a bunch of money from that, I assume. Uh, so think about that when you're creating that column. But but also, though, with this, if, if you don't have the physical environment 
to make this practical, then it really does kind of end the discussion. And so it's not just the community. The community is important. Granted, for those reasons, I mentioned a few of them. Those, those things are critical. As a matter of fact, often that's the sort of gravity that keeps people in their homes, in their neighborhoods. It's less their particular home than their particular neighborhood and its proximity to everything that that means. So for question one is how important, how advantageous is it for you to be in that community? The second question, though, relates to your property itself. And I've gone, certainly not exhaustively, but I've suggested this category for you to think about what those costs will be if you were to retrofit your house. And perhaps even preliminarily, is it clear that your house doesn't lend itself the physical structure to this, either because it's very old and it's going to be a lot of expense in maintenance and care going forward, whatever you do. There's that possibility. Some of you incidentally are in houses that your next purchaser will raise the house. Incidentally, that's R-A-Z-E. So there are people who simply have decided to keep their house as their neighbor's houses have sold, especially those what they call mid-century modern houses, you know, the ranch houses from the, what, 50s and, and 60s that were so popular. I I see in the area where I live in St. Louis, those houses are going down. I mean, they're they're being sold for the lot value. And for some of you, maybe that's the idea in part, the stimulus for you to be looking around for an alternative is, is you don't want to sell your house for the lot cost. But I don't want that to influence unduly your decision. Your decision has to be made based on what your needs will be for the balance of your life, not with total disregard by any means to what you're going to leave your children. But I'm reluctant to endorse a plan by which you're to suffer whatever is necessary in order to maximize the amount that is available when you leave this world. I'd be willing to bet your children would not authorize that set of priorities, or at least if they do, it's not, it's not a good sign. So um, I, I think that those of you who are in a house where it is a house that would be torn down if sold, meaning it's it's just a house that your neighbor's houses are nicer and, and clearly your neighborhood, I should say, your neighborhood has kind of gone up scale and the house is old and and it's the lot is worth close to what it would be worth with the house. So in those cases, you have to really think before you pour money into it. Some of you will see that argument to say, for you, that fact that I just stated would be an argument for staying. And others of you, it'll be an argument for leaving. The argument for staying is, well, look, I'm going to get very little from this house if I sell it. Why not go ahead, spend what I want to spend on this house, knowing that it will never be recovered, you know, if I spend $50,000 to retrofit this house, I know that it will never be recovered, uh, but that's okay. I'm comfortable with that. Uh, then others of you are thinking, oh, I, the idea of putting, you know, $100,000 down the drain or $50,000 down the drain because it's going to all, you know, mean nothing when the house is sold and when I pass away. And that really bothers me, you may say to yourself. So you need to think about that because many of your homes will fit this description that I just described. Um, and and it, it means that, not that you shouldn't retrofit it. I mean, just because you're the, the houses next door are these you know two-story 
modern houses and maybe yours looks a little different is not a reason that you must sell it. Uh, it just means that that you have to be comfortable with doing what you need to physically to the environment of the house, meaning to to retrofitting, bedrooms, whatever has to be done, you have to be comfortable with the idea that it won't be recovered. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be comfortable with it. Uh, your, your kids, hopefully, are going to be comfortable with it. So um, I, would, I would do that sort of examination of your particular house, the neighborhood, as well as the, the, the physical structure and its convertibility to the extent necessary. Those are critical elements before you go any further in developing this plan. Another piece of this that I want to mention that would perhaps be considered as, uh, I guess, a necessary corollary to this plan is when I talked about these two columns on a piece of paper in which you estimate what your costs are going to be, uh, we'll refer to the left column as refer as the column in which you list what the costs are associated with staying where you are, and we'll call the right is the column in which you move. So we've already indicated on the right you would have the sale of the house, you would have money coming in, um, you would you would be rid of all these considerations about maintenance and upkeep. Uh, you'd be moving to an environment, I'm confident, where that becomes a non-issue, except you pay a monthly fee, of course, but the point is you don't have to personally think about any independent contractors or subcontractors and all the things that go with that. So that is your left column, but your right column, to be fair to yourself, if you're wanting to look at these numbers, you have to figure, well, I'm going to have additional costs here over time, not only on the front end, the ones that I described. Yes, that should be a sum that you you place at the top of the page and it should be the sum that would be all the, what I'll call capital expenditures necessary to bring the house up to speed. This is not maintenance stuff over time. This is, these are the things that will get the house to where it needs to be. Some of it will be stuff that should have been done 20 years ago. Some of it will be particular things associated with this aging plan, which is a sort of retrofitting um, project. Um, some might require significant, uh, you know, what? reconfiguring of your house. So for those items, you have to get an estimate because you're just not sure what these things are going to run. But these are front-end costs. And then then after that will be the cost that you can expect to have on a monthly basis. And you know, I encourage you to be inclusive in that number. It's better to err on the high end than to err on the, the low end. Um, so when I think about this, I think about like a, a retrofitting budget. We talked about that. So that that's the, the the single figure that you would spend over the course of say a year on the front end. Uh, but the other is the the cost of living associated with this house. This is taxes, maintenance, et cetera. Your cost of living generally, and it might be that staying where you are, your costs are lower in many ways because you cook things for yourself. You have them brought in, but you know, the question is, how do you get those things? Do you have a means to having those delivered to you? And incidentally, we all have Amazon now. So it is a different world in terms of what you can get delivered to you. I can tell you, my mother has stuff delivered to her almost every day. And she has my brother living next door, and this is in Kentucky. She has my brother and his wife living next door, which are more than happy to go get things for. But she's discovered Amazon. And I'm telling you, she is just delighted with this resource. And she uses it regularly and should. So uh, think about what your costs are going to be going forward in terms of your cost of living where you are. Now, this is a left column expense. On the right, 
you will have ongoing costs, and those are pretty easily to ascertain because often they'll be fixed for certain periods of time. Depending on your contract, it could be it could be as much, a month-to-month contract. There are places that do that now in which they would have the ability to raise those costs in some contracts anytime they choose. Generally, they commit to a year at a time. But there will be others where they'll commit to five years or more depending on you know what what is the nature of your residence is it an owned position is it is it something in which you have equity so as a result you've paid money you own real estate that is titled in your name uh, is it is it simply something where you have a long-term lease or is it something in between and they do have a lot of things in between as options here but those things are going to go on the right side so you're going to have to to go ahead and independently identify those for yourself and and fill those numbers in but the I would argue it's easier to fill those numbers in than it is the ones on the left because the ones on the left you have to think a little bit about gee you know what will my food costs and other things be going forward and you have to imagine a change in circumstance in other words don't assume that what you're spending now adjusted for inflation will always be the same even adjusted for inflation those costs may be different if you don't have the ability to get those things the way you get them now. Now, again, we have we have Amazon Prime, so it's a game changer in how you do these calculations. You may not need to have somebody go pick up stuff physically, and and while you do pay for people to for them to deliver things, it's still it it's pretty efficient. So um, I think that when you calculate these costs, you've got to figure your your real estate costs associated with staying in your house. You have real estate taxes, maintenance, upkeep. And then, of course, you're going to have all those things associated with, with you know, your day-to-day living, uh, food, utilities, et cetera. So that's going, those things should be um, more reasonably predictable. It's just that you're going to have to give them some thought when you're thinking about your house more than you can if you're writing a single check based on what the costs are today at the alternative, the, the right column alternative. But let me add some things to what would go on the left-hand side. There are going to be some special items that you'll want to include, things like travel. I mean, you're not going to stay in this house all the time. I know we're talking about you living in the house, but the point is, realistically, as long as you can, you want to travel some. So you've got to include that budget in the left-hand side. When we look at the feet, remember, this is a feasibility of staying in this in-house versus moving to some sort of community environment. I don't know if you historically have traveled once a year. Are you one of those people or are you one of those people that travel 10 times a year? And I meet those when occasionally my wife and I will go on tours and we like to travel. And and we see people, and I mean older people, older people who just, I mean, they travel a lot and they aren't necessarily affluent. You might think, well, gee, people who do that, they must have a ton of money. But for the most part, these people are people who have been, they've been pretty frugal you know, like college professors and people such as that who've, they've been pretty frugal. And and uh, when they travel, they try to save money, though they are prepared to go on relatively nice cruises and whatnot. But you can be sure they shop them carefully. They find when they're on sale, et cetera. So if that's going to be in your plan that you want to travel a lot, and I wholeheartedly endorse that. I think there's nothing, almost nothing else uh, better, at least for your health, for your mental health as much as physical, and it stimulates you. It uh, it makes life more vibrant than perhaps the same old every day. So is that going to be in your budget? It should be, if you can do it physically. Um, what else should be in your budget? Now, one thing that we've got to talk about is this assistive care that I mentioned last time and I mentioned earlier today is this is a little bit of an unknown because you don't 
you don't know how much assistive care you might have. And as I mentioned last time, there's a point where these lines cross, meaning that it's more efficient to have somebody to come into your house occasionally to give you skilled care. And I'm not talking about just somebody with custodial care, although that this is true of that as well. A certain amount of custodial care, a certain amount of skilled care, like respiratory therapists, things such as that, to come into your home a certain number of hours a week is going to be less expensive than paying for those things to be available all the time in a community. That's true to a point. And when I talk about those two lines crossing, there is a line where there's a certain level of people coming to your home. In other words, where you need custodial care. Let me give you an extreme example. 24-7 custodial care. That's the most extreme example. But if you can imagine the alternative cost of having somebody available to sort of be around to assist you as needed 24-7 in a community, you can see where the cost is much less for that person. Meaning this one, I'm not going to call them a skilled care. I'll say that this, this personal care person, this unskilled, they're considered unskilled, even though they, they are very helpful. They can lift, they can do things for you, they can get things for you. Uh, but but they're, they're kind of your arms and legs, so to speak. And they're very important to have as we age and become less capable of doing things. And they're not technically called skilled. So even though they're not paid a lot of money, you know, I think I said last time, it's not unusual to pay 25 to $30 an hour for this person. But imagine 24-7 what that cost is. You can have one of those people serving 10 people as well, just getting it done as well as they would an individual in your home because they're not always needed by you. So the meter's running and you're paying for this in your home 24-7, even though the person is standing around most of the time. So that's, that is a particularly vivid example of these lines crossing that I'm describing. So there is a point where you have to ask yourself, how much do I want to be in this home? In other words, up to the point where those lines cross, let's talk about the feasibility of that. And then we'll talk about the feasibility when those lines, when you get on the other side of those lines, so to speak. Those of you who aren't familiar with graphs, uh, don't have any idea what I'm talking about, but many of you do. And you imagine, you know, the cost of one going up and the cost of the other going down. And at some point, suddenly it makes sense to shift tracks, so to speak, shift lines. Um, and, in your case, you have to consider, you know, when it, on, there'll be a period when it's clear that it's easier. There'll be a period when there's no question that you're saving money. You're not, you don't need anybody 24-7 to be a custodial care person. You don't need somebody to come in except occasionally for these specialized needs. So the, the cost for having somebody come into your home at the outset is going to either be zero or it's going to be very low. Now, over time, Let's face it, there's a probability that you're going to need some of these people coming into your home. And you're probably going to have to pay out of pocket, again, unless it meets those criteria I mentioned a while ago. I, just, I hate to keep repeating this, but I just want to be sure that I don't charge forward and confuse you. There are things your insurance pays for, your regular health insurance pays for, but, but most of these things that qualify for, for maintenance care, for lack of a better phrase, are things that are not covered by insurance long-term. They'll cover an incident, an injury, treatment, illness, those things they cover. 
All right. So I know I've said that several times, but I just want to be sure we're on the same page. And the lines do blur at some point. I don't want you to think there's a crisp, clear, uncontroversial definition between these two categories, the things that your your traditional health insurance pays for, including Medicare, and the things that they don't. But subject to that blur, there is a difference. And many of these things, I'm going to assume for the sake of this discussion, will be things that will not be covered by your regular health insurance. So there will be a while then when you're willing to pay this, right? Because it's cheaper. It's more efficient. You're having somebody come in a few times a week. Maybe you'll have a person come in to stay with you four hours a day, three times a week to help with certain things for certain, whatever those reasons may be. Uh, clearly, it's still favorable in terms of the relative cost between the cost of living in a communal environment versus living in your home, as long as you you stay, you know, below this this um, line that I've described or this intersection. During this period of time, I know what your position is. You've hung with me so far watching this, and I'm willing to bet that you fit the description of somebody who really wants to stay in your home, and you're willing to make some of the compromises and engage in some of the things that I've described in order to make that happen. And you're willing to incur some costs, especially when the costs are lower than what they'd be if you were in a you know some sort of community uh, environment. So this will be easy. You'll hang with this position up to that point. Here's where I'm coming to. There will be a time when these, this intersection that I've described will happen, when suddenly it's becoming very expensive to do this. Now, I want to retract that a little bit. I don't know that there will be a time for you. There may not be a time for you when that'll happen. So I, let's not be uh, morbid, and I, I want to assume the best to an extent. But let's entertain, though, the very real prospect that such a time will come. So now your decision is easy, right? You, you, we've talked about the things that you need to consider. Let's assume all those, you're able to check those boxes, all those expenses on the left-hand side of the column. Left column, you're always, you're happy with. You, you say, yep, I can deal with these expenses. I can do these things. So now we're talking about the other costs associated with aging in place, which is the things more directly related to your physical care. It'll be easy for you as long as you stay below this point where suddenly the costs become very high. I'm suggesting that you now think about you know, what you would do, where you would go, what the plan would be if you reached a point where suddenly the pain associated, I mean financial pain, the financial pain associated with adhering to the plan A is just too great. So plan A, we know what that is. We're assuming you get the point to where you implement it, meaning that you've met the things, the criteria we've discussed so far. Things are going well. You are even incurring some costs associated with professional care, but clearly it's it's more efficient and, and affordable for you. But I'm suggesting that even under these circumstances that you go ahead and develop the plan B. It may never happen. As a matter of fact, you may plunge, you may be one of those people who plunge past the intersection where clearly the costs are a lot higher, right? That, in other words, you know, in its most extreme cases, you're paying two to three times as much as you would pay in a community environment. But you stick with the plan, number one, because you want to, but number two, you can. Some of you have the, the financial resources to do that. I mean, you can do the math in your head and quickly see how much money you'd be spending out of pocket, uh, potentially. In the worst case scenario, we'll say, but I, you know, there are many of you who, not many, some of you who would say, look, not only do I want to stay in my home, which you have in common with everybody here, but 
but I'm determined to stay in the home when we pass that intersection that you've described, that I've described. I mean, so you're saying, I, okay, I hear you. I appreciate the fact that there'll be a point where I'm spending far more than I need to spend for this care, this physical care, but that's okay. You know, money is, it's, it's to serve our happiness and my kids are okay. They're, they don't need it. Um, so why not do it? Amen. I mean, I'm, I don't disagree with that at all. Uh, but I know that the people who are in a position to say and do that are a substantial minority of you. Many of you, when you come to that intersection, are going to have to say, man, this is, um, I can't keep doing this. And I'm going to need to go to plan B. Well, go ahead now and, and, and develop your, for lack of a better phrase, an evacuation strategy. Develop the plan now where you say, okay, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to go, I'm going to list this property with so-and-so. I know that at the time I sell it, its value will be significantly less than what it would be if it were perhaps sitting in a different place or were perhaps a newer, a different floor plan. Um, I know that. And so these are my calculations. Now, granted, those will change over time, roughly. I don't think we're going to have a ton of inflation forever. I mean, we well, I think what we're going through now in terms of inflation, I won't use the word transient, but I will say that, you know, I think in two to three years, we're probably going to return to where we were, uh, which maybe is below 5%. So uh, I think you can do these calculations without without th- assuming huge increases in costs. So I would suggest that even though you have this plan, you're a person who's, who knows at the outset, at the threshold of this decision, that it's a feasible for you to have a plan A that's going to keep you in the house. You've considered the things I've talked about, and you're good with that. The property is good with that. It's location, it's condition, your financial resources, you've done a budget. So when you look at the left-hand side of that column, you say, this is affordable, and this is going, I can afford to do this, at least to the point of the intersection. And I'm telling you that now, not then, you should develop that plan. You should have the plan B now so that you know what, where you would go and what you would do. It's okay that it might, may change. I mean, it may be if, you're, if you have to implement plan B and it's 15 years down the road that, that your plan will be a little different. You won't go to the same place. You may have resources then or not that you have now. So it's not so important that plan B be something that is immutable. It's important that you have the plan B and that as things change, you can change change plan B. But at any given point, you do have it. Remember, what you imagine to be something that might never occur, but most likely will occur 15, 20 years from now, could very well occur tomorrow afternoon. So by that, I mean you have, you have traumatic events that occur, such as heart attacks, strokes, car accidents, falls. So you're developing a plan B, recognizing, number one, that it may never be needed. Number two, that its most likely scenario is going to be beyond a decade in the future. But, but, that you might possibly need someone to implement on your behalf in the next 48 hours, just to be dramatic. Uh, You get my point. This isn't something where, as we age, we can assume that these life-changing events that are relatively rare when you're young are equally rare when you're old. They're not equally rare. They're more likely as we age. 
So uh, in approaching this, I think that I've kind of laid out for you a general grid, um, a basis, at least I hope, a way to think more clearly about your future, where you're going to be, and what those costs might be. I'm going to do another episode. This other episode, I'm going to focus a little more on the financial, but especially the legal side of implementing what I've just described. Hope this has been of help to you. This has been another episode of Life's Third Act. Till next time, take care. You've been listening to Life's Third Act, a podcast for thriving in retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, your estate and elder law advisors. Each week, we discuss topics and answer questions to help you better plan for your future. For more information, visit TuckerAllen.com. Subscribe and listen again next week for another edition of Life's Third Act. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertisements.